Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This is a very jam-packed episode we have today. Um, I, I first want to say we're, we're going to have a, a big discussion on uh, The Eternals, which is the, the kind of the big movie of the weekend, as well as talking about the Netflix release, The Harder They Fall. But I want to encourage listeners out there to stick around at the end of the episode because uh, I got a chance to talk with Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe, uh, the writer, director, and actor duo um, behind uh, the newly released film, The Beta Test. Um, it's a very fun like Hollywood satire slash erotic thriller. Um, Jim was someone that I've been kind of eager to talk to for a while because he's, I think, one of the more unique voices in American independent cinema at the moment. Um, so stick around for that conversation. It's really fun and kind of an exciting look behind the scenes at a very creative new release. But first, oh. I, I need to I need to introduce our guest coming coming down from the heavens in his giant triangular block spaceship oh. thingy. Rilwan Belogan. Welcome, Jesse, sir. Did you stay for the third end credit? Because that's when I was introduced into the MCU. Like everyone else. I gotta be honest, I did not know there was I'm I'm kind of like tapped out of like sitting for the end credits. That's that's oh, where man. I am these days. Cause I will just like read about it on, on Twitter. <laughs> I, I stayed for the mid credits one where mm. a I, I guess a certain pop star reveals himself into the the MCU, but it, I, after that point, I was like, if there's a second one, I'm just gonna like read about it on Twitter later. Like, I, this is I'm not gonna wait around for another like 20 minutes for this. During that mid credit scene, I pulled out my phone and googled, "Is there another credit scene? Do I need to stay?" <laughs> essentially, well, it wouldn't have even done me any good because then, like, so I read what it was, and then uh, a friend of mine was like, "I guess this is maybe a spoiler, but like." I'm just going to say it anyway. A friend of mine texted me and was like, yo, is Blade the the end credit scene? And I was like, no, it's not. And then he texted me later that night and was like, Blade is definitely the end credit scene. And I was like, wait, for real? And it's the the hint of Blade is so like small in there that I told him like, I, I would have to totally missed that if I had actually like watched it. Now I'm thinking, I'm like, where the heck is Blade reference? It's it's a uh, a voice that I guess comes over in intercom oh, in the second one yes. is Mahershala Ali, but like I would not have been able to tell. Like I I even had people, um, you know, at, afterwards like that I was texting with about this movie that were trying to guess who that voice was, and so like I guess some people have figured out, oh, that's Mahershala Ali's voice, but it's like. It's not like it's so clear that people were like immediately able to figure it out. It it's not clear. I feel like I know Mahershala Ali's voice. I didn't know who that was. I thought it was just some rando. Yeah. Well, um, we there's a lot to dissect with this movie. Aside from the end credits, I think we kind of said all we need to say about the end credit mm -hmm. sequences. Um, Eternals the now third Marvel movie to come out this year, and as well as the follow-up of uh, director Chloe Zhao, who won an Academy Award earlier this year for Nomadland. I, I don't think I've ever talked to you. Did, do you. did you like Nomadland? 
I loved Nomadland. Okay. I okay. loved it. And that was my introduction to Chloe Zhao. And I was like, why is this the first film of hers I'm seeing? I mean, it's only her third one. I haven't seen her first movie, which the name of it escapes me. But um, if you haven't seen The Writer, The Writer is also really mm-hmm. good. That's her, okay. her second feature. Um, and so this was kind of exciting as her getting to step into a much bigger canvas. Um, I, w- I would say that, you know, there's, there's so many avenues for us to kind of like dive into this movie. I would not say the reception to this movie has been fairly well received, although I'm a bit baffled. I'm a bit kind of like raised eyebrow at the takes that are like, this is the worst Marvel movie or like Marvel's first miss. And I was like, I don't know. Did you see Black Widow? Did you see Captain <laughs> Marvel? Did you see Thor the Dark World? Um, oh my gosh, yes. I think that's the worst Marvel movie by far. It's it's probably the one I would put at the bottom at the if for no other reason than I don't remember a single thing that happens in that movie. I think Me there's too. like elves or something. And I know I've seen all of the MCU movies. That's Same. the one I, I question every single time Thor is brought up. I'm like, did I actually watch that? Right. I I I, I could probably pull up a Wikipedia summary, and you and I would be like, I definitely like don't remember. any of of that stuff like i said i think there's elves in it but like i literally have no idea when when i went and saw in game and there's the little like bit about how thor's mother died and i guess it's supposed to be dark world i was like totally forgot that happened that that went over my head um so i i'll first toss the ball to you and because i i have a lot of thoughts on on this movie i i think it's kind of a big swing and a miss for me Mm. but um i'm curious what your thoughts are kind of in the the day or days since seeing it so i just saw it a, a a day or so ago and i've been waiting until this conversation to kind of flesh things out with you before i give it a letterbox rating because i'm like i don't know i think it was good it was okay it definitely okay what annoyed me going in was because I heard the critics like bashing it. And then the day before I went to see when it was widely released, I see people I know saying, what are the critics talking about? This was an enjoyable, good movie. Then, so I was like, all right, let me just go in limited expectations. Let me just watch it. Without a doubt, Chloe Zhao's thumbprint is all over this. Yes. Um, this is definitely a slower Marvel movie. They mm-hmm. let everything breathe and flesh out. And in that vein, it felt like one of these Disney Plus series in the way that it's, quote, it's all connected. But right now, this movie is just setting up for the larger future that the MCU is trying to get into. And so that's what I had to remind myself, like, right now I'm asking so many questions, but they're going to answer it soon. Um, and then I was just like, all right, there, I'm trying, what I was trying to do is find where, what was green screen and what wasn't, just because mm. after seeing Nomadland and knowing that Chloe Zhao loves using natural light and just being in on set or on scene, rather, a specific location instead of using green screen. So for me, I was trying to find out, is that green screen? So that was a little game I was playing in the theater. But I think right now I'll give it a three out of five stars. I liked it. It did move mm-hmm. slow for me. It's not a traditional Marvel movie, but I don't think it's the it's the worst by far. No, um, I'm I'm definitely maybe like, I think I have it on Letterboxd as like a 2.5. So, I mean, we're not super far away from each other. Um, to, to me, the thing that kind of kept popping into my head 
the entire time I was I was watching it was this is like oil and water mixing together. Like mm. cl- I I'm I don't want to sort of speculate too much of like fear of misreporting anything, but I I will just say I will be unsurprised if anything comes out of this that like there was a lot of butting heads behind the scenes about this movie because this feels fully like it like you said it is very very aggressively trying to be a chloe Zhao movie but also like very aggressively still trying to like shoehorn itself into kind of the the general vibe i think people expect of an mcu movie and so i i just don't think those two things kind of really fit together I, and, and i was curious like how much uh that was going to be the case because i think the marvel movies i've enjoyed the most whether they're like thor ragnarok or black panther or guardians of galaxy are the ones where people get to come in and kind of bring a little bit more of their personality and sort of like unique voice to the mcu yeah. but th- this is a case from which i feel like chloe Zhao went in of like i'm going to get to make my like grand cosmic like chloe Zhao blockbuster and marvel was probably more expecting like um you know that, that they do this every now with with filmmakers like um anna Boden, ryan fleck who made um captain marvel and are like very talented like indie directors but there's not really any of their kind of voice in that movie to me mm-hmm. um i don't know what your thoughts of that movie are i don't particularly remember caring for it all that well but I, marvel does have this like process where they'll kind of bring in like more indie directors to kind of like bring something out of the cast or or sort of work on a certain dynamic in the story but then marvel is just sort of like you know the the sort of whole world building and the like um big set pieces and stuff like we'll take care of all of that of sort of like we've set out the kind of like online template for this but we just need you to kind of color in the lines or maybe add a little bit of shading here and there Mm. and so this movie to me feels constantly at war with itself of like trying to be a Marvel movie and have the kind of like Marvel set pieces and the kind of uh, quippy Marvel humor, but yeah. that clashing with Chloe Zhao's style, which is um, like this very naturalistic kind of almost sort of poetic flow of a story that's very similar to like, um, if you've ever seen like a Terrence Malick movie, like that's probably the person um, her style like most reminds me of and she's interested in these kind of like small human stories and has this very like humanist interest and there's an aspect of this movie that i could see that appealed to her of like this is a story of, about these alien godlike beings who come down to earth centuries ago and sort of are with humanity and sort of watching over humanity as as the human species sort of evolves over the years and this sort of both falling in love with the human species, but also kind of being frustrated by them at the same time. And that's something I can clearly see her being interested in. It just sort of seems like she went in of like trying to make kind of essentially to use a more recent example, like I'm sure she thought this was going to be to her what like, Denis Villeneuve had for Dune of like this mm. is my vision of this this property this is Chloe Zhao's Eternals and then Marvel was like no 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 you're here to just sort of like do mm. this little stuff over here in your corner people still expect That's you know there point. is a vibe to a Marvel movie people expect a certain kind of humor they expect set pieces every so often 
And so it just sort of, the whole thing felt like this weird mishmash between these two very different approaches to the story that I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by. And I, I, why I'm like excited to dive into more of this movie with you, Mm -hmm. but I sort of left feeling like none of that really worked. And that feels like two very, very extreme uh, points of view kind of butting heads with each other and sort of pulling the movie in opposite directions constantly. That's a great, great point because uh, when I was watching it, I was like, I wonder what the process was like for Marvel and Chloe mm-hmm. doing this. And then the end credits when it says written by Chloe Zhao and then there's another line underneath it where it's, I don't know if it's written by or there's something else where Chloe Zhao and other names are listed, four or five other names are listed And I'm assuming that's either Marvel going back and saying, all right, let's clean up what Mm -hmm. her vision is to include what you're kind of saying here, the Marvel beats and beats that we have to put in here. Because they're definitely in the movie, there are definitely some weird pacing that is very slow. And then either a quip, a funny quip comes up or here's an action scene. And I feel like what you're referencing, that's probably Marvel when they went back to make their notes, they're like, all right, this is dragging too long. We need something here. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's, I'm glad you brought up kind of Zhao's um, interest in, in sort of nature and, and kind of being out in the real world. And these, she has such a great eye for locations. I think for anyone who's, who's seen any of seen Nomadland or any of her other previous movies and, you know, there was all the kind of like weird press and quotes. I don't know if you were following this of like, you know, because most of these Marvel movies, like I, I live in Atlanta, so they like shoot a lot of them here, but they just shoot them on like sound stages. Like I right. think they're shooting Black Panther somewhere here in town, mm-hmm. uh, the the sequel. And Chloe Zhao specifically wanted to like, no, we're going to go to like real locations out in the world. And this, this, this is going to be. Um, I want kind of a natural feel to this. And there were all the clo- the kind of laughable quotes of like Kevin Feige being like, you're not going to believe like the sea looks so real. And her being like, that's because that is the the real sea. Like I went to a beach <laughs> yeah. and we shot that or something like that. Um, so I, I think like to me, the, the the sort of quintessential image of this movie is like, she's got these like really striking um, grand locations like for example there's this like climax that happens on this like very visually striking like cliffside beach but then you have these like ugly cgi monsters on top of it that like we got to talk about the the effects in this movie which i i cannot believe look as bad as they do in some places they really do yeah um and and so like that that's the image i've just been thinking of so much because it's like that's the two extremes happening at once this kind of like what i don't understand and don't you know don't want to harp too much on kind of crafts people who clearly like put a lot of time and effort into this stuff but like i i've kind of had a problem for anyone who's listened to the episodes we've done on the show about like even Shang-Chi, which I, like, for the most part enjoyed, but Emily Wheeler and I on that episode were like, the effects look really bad in a couple places, and that kind of has been a weird thing that's happened in the the MCU movies, but, like, that matched with, like, Chloe Zhao being like, we're gonna shoot on this, like, great beach, and it's gonna be the magic hour, and the sun's gonna be setting in the background, and it's like those two polar opposites kind of all happening at once. And I wonder if it's because that uh, the production team is kind of 
using that natural light, all the nature that Chloe Zhao does. And mm-hmm. they're like, ah, we don't know how to clean this up because we're used to working with a green screen. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of just don't understand. Um, so sh- should mention, um, I'll get a little bit more into the plot, which is, uh, as I kind of said, the Eternals are the this group of alien beings who come down to Earth in sort of prehistoric time to defend humanity against these space monsters called deviants um the deviants look quite awful i thought kind of like bad (laughs) video game renderings and the eternals kind of end up sticking around and kind of assisting in some places but also like they're not allowed to interfere with human conflicts and so there's this push and pull between the different members of the, the this this group of aliens of like how how involved should we be in humanity and then the deviants come back and the Eternals have to like, it becomes a like getting the gang back together movie. Yes. It um, is. And then, you know, there are more nefarious things revealed to be at work and that's all I'll guess I'll say for now. But um, I don't, I don't know where, where do you kind of want to take this next? Cause I think we can talk about sort of more of the, the visual aspect of this movie can maybe go into my rant about how I, I, I don't understand how this movie that is this expensive like looks this bad in certain places um we can talk about the cast which is this wonderfully diverse cast um of like really good actors i think for the most part or at least really charming actors but i think don't really mesh together that well or feel like they're in different movies or given like very strange things to do um, I don't know where where do you want to kind of take this now? Let's Where's start with the casting, here? please, because the casting from yeah. the moment they were revealed and announced, which mm-hmm. was what was this like two years ago? Like, yeah, this was over two years ago now, I believe. Yeah, because I think I might be wrong. I want to say this was maybe shot even like before Nomadland of like that. This has been like delayed some because of the pandemic. So it, it gotcha. it's at least like two or three years ago or something okay. like that. So when they the first announcement came out, I was like, Angelina Jolie's in a Marvel movie? Are you, like, that was the one yeah. casting that I was like, this doesn't compute in my head. And mm-hmm. so throughout the movie, I don't want to spoil it, but I thought, no, I can't go too far in that because I'm going to spoil it. But then the more I look at just the cast, when I was watching the, the movie, I was like, oh, the cast is very diverse because one, Marvel needs to diversify for its next whatever future but then i was looking at the cast and some of the ones that were recognizable to me i was like oh is this kind of like this is not fan it's the term is not fan fiction but saying hey south korea we have this big star out there that you love Mm. so come watch for him hey ireland there's this new up-and-comer star he's in this you know what i'm getting at yeah when i was watching that's what it felt like at points that this cast which they were all really well done. They were great actors. It felt like they're like, let's bring them together so we can we can reach out to these different countries and get them to watch. It felt kind of stunt casting to me in that way. And then I feel like all the cast members had to like cry as part of their auditions because a lot of them are really good criers. Yeah, I I so I go through the cast really quick. I mean, uh, it's it's the the joke i think in the lead up to it was like man marvel just put a bunch of hot people together like (laughs) um so i mean you got like jimma chin uh richard madden uh angelina jolie you mentioned selma hayek uh camille nanjani 
uh brian tyree henry uh barry keegan um i mean the the list the list could just go on i think those are probably the most recognizable Mm -hmm. um names in the cast but um i the one person who i think kind of um I think really, really clicked to me is Barry Keegan, who plays the the one the one eternal character who kind of can like control other people's minds. He's the one that I feel like is kind of finding the right kind of balance of the sort of comic book theatricality with this kind of um more heavy seriousness that Zhao is going for and that, that is sort of hangs over a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um but a lot most of the cast like Jimma Chin and who who's kind of like the the lead of the movie. I mean, her and Richard Madden are supposed to have this like smoldering chemistry and past and like I'm sorry, don't have any like two they don't have chemistry. incredibly beautiful people who have zero chemistry together yeah. and of like I don't understand the like attraction of those two characters. Um Selma Hayek and especially the way Angelina Jolie is used in this movie just like utterly oh. baffled me. I, I was like, me, what are you I guys was like, doing? <laughs> I was like, did y'all just have a few days with her? Is that why this is like this? I one again, what's the line? There are no like few lines or whatever. But I was like, Angelina Jolie just kind of showed up and is phoning this in. There's not a lot I, here for her. I don't. I just don't even understand that character who has like superhero dementia or something like that. <laughs> like it. <laughs> It she it, I was just sort of baffled of like that's the part you give her uh mm-hmm. it, I don't know it it but you and I are from like you know a generation where it's like we're, we're, us growing up like Angelina Jolie was like one of the biggest movie stars yes. in in the world but yeah. uh, so it's like it's baffling she gets this sort of obscure and kind of odd of a part that kind of doesn't really give her anything and I don't really understand that whole character's arc or anything um Selma Hayek I think fine you know she she's not in the movie a whole lot I guess I will say that she is like mostly seen in in flashbacks Flashbacks, um Brian Tyree Henry I really loved he's one of my favorite actors I, I I just wanted more of him he kind of doesn't come in until very late in the movie um and Camille Nanjani funny Definitely funny, like, you, you know, my audience was laughing a lot, but he feels like he's in a totally different movie. Like, he yes. feels like he's in the more more MCU, yes. kind of like popcorn version of this movie, whereas everyone else, it seems like, is is doing drama. like... A, right, trying to do a much more, like, weighty, emotional performance. And then he... It, it just sort of feels like all of his bits are getting, like, cut out of something totally different or we're like totally reshot of being like we got to shoehorn some humor in here oh i bet that's what it was reshoots with them because him and um the actor's name is harish patel i felt like they were just there every scene they were there they were just for laughter and it kind of annoyed me that um the other actor patel was kind of just butt of the jokes and then but at the end he has like a really sincere part there i was like oh that was sweet but yeah, it felt like they were there just for the humor of it all. Yeah, and I mean there there are a few other characters um too that I I I will just say this in as vague of a way as possible although like having seen the movie I think you'll know specifically who I'm talking about. There there are characters in this who I feel like are kept very much at a distance for the audience and the entire time I kept thinking like 
is this person bad? Like, what is up with this character? Like, is yeah. this person just like not giving a bad performance? Like, that seems so stilted, um, or so like removed from everything, and like we don't get much about their personality. Only for in kind of like the final act of the movie for us to like learn things about some of the eternal characters that are meant to be kind of like big revelations mm-hmm. and when those revelations are announced i was like i i guess so like is it wasn't like That's an my oh my reaction. gosh twist yes, yeah it I was, was like, like if okay, you say sure. so yes. <laughs> i was like sure okay bye right exactly and then it just makes me feel like this doesn't this reveal that you have doesn't hold any weight because like at least like either give me a tease of that in their personality or like you haven't given me any reason to care about this character and kind of their kind of emotional stakes in this story for then you to throw this like big third act reveal on it and me to just kind of like shrug and be like, I don't know. That seems like that came out of nowhere. (laughs) There was a, um, I I just want to talk a one bit about the plot and then we can move on. There's, the, I think since I think it was Endgame, we're learning more about Thanos. At least I am. Mm-hmm. Endgame and all these Disney Plus series are referencing Thanos. This references Thanos. And then the future is referencing Thanos. So I'm just like, okay, Thanos and the blimp is not completely bad. It should have kept happening. Just want mm-hmm. to put down people's radar because I was like, huh, interesting. I liked that part. Yeah, and and I do kind of like, at least on paper, the idea of this movie like getting into these more kind of like cosmic aspects of the Marvel universe. Um, I mean, there there is like a lot of um pieces being written about like the Eternals is like a Jack Kirby creation, not a um a Stan Lee creation. So like mm. it's it's from like a totally different kind of Marvel sensibility than like stanley creating like iron man and spider-man and stuff and like the kind of like lovable heroes and like jack kirby um is doing these kind of like wild cosmic really weird like the marvel movie previous to this that's probably got the most jack kirby influence is probably thor ragnarok and how just like psychedelic and like crazy cosmic that movie can be at points um is is a lot of his influence so um i'm i'm kind of down for us to sort of like dive into more of the kind of weird sci-fi areas of this um the, well the last person in the cast i do want to mention because i'm sure a lot of people are like why haven't they mentioned this person um we, we got another thrones boy in this cast kit harrington is in the cast and um i i i will say there is an one of the in credit sequences does feature kit harrington um but you know kit harrington in this movie is mostly just kind of do, doing the like dutiful boyfriend thing <laughs> which until that in credit sequence i was like oh that's that's weird i wonder if they just like couldn't cast this role and richard madden just like threw in a phone call and was like hey can, can you like help for a couple days because <laughs> there was a while in this movie where i was like oh for real is that all he's gonna be doing <laughs> which i would have been fine with too he's he's pretty charming in this movie i mean he's so like serious on thrones but he's like pretty funny in in this movie and like his parts and like he he has more chemistry with jimma chan than like richard madden does which i don't know maybe we should reverse those roles or something like that i think so and you mentioned he was charming this is the first role i've seen him in post um 
Game of Thrones that I wasn't seeing Jon Snow. So I, yes. I think he does a really good job in this, in the little bit he's in it. Yes. Though, from what I've read about like what the in-credit scene means with him uh, for potential future Marvel movies, it, it sounds like we're really going to lean into the Jon Snow iconography ah, uh, from what I read. Um, yeah, I kind of just got to... I, I, Back to the effects, I got to bring up, so, like, a few weeks ago when we talked about Dune on this show, um, I mentioned uh, Hunter Howman, frequent guest on this show. Him and I went and saw Dune together, and he walked out kind of, like, not really liking the movie, but he, he the, the very first thing he said, pretty much, was, like, that movie at least looks like it costs as much as they say it cost. Like... And and also lumping in, I think the two previews we saw before it were the the Matt Reeves Batman movie and the mm-hmm. um oh the the Matrix sequel that's coming out and him kind of like lumping those three together and being like there is no excuse for your like two hundred million dollar blockbuster to not look like it cost as much <laughs> as it did and I kind of just I just don't understand like how. I mean, as I mentioned, I like Shang-Chi a lot more than this, but like Shang-Chi has some moments in it where I was like, this does not look good. And there, you know, there's been tons of writing on this. There's a really great video essay from like five or six years ago by this guy named Patrick H. Willems that breaks down like the color grading in Marvel movies and how the color is like all like desaturated so that, you oh, know, wow. there can be kind of a visual continuity between mm-hmm. these movies. Um and I don't, I, I think when this movie is in real location, I mean, it's all in real locations, but when it's just sort of like people in real locations and letting Zhao sort of like film in the magic hour. Yeah, it looks, it, it looks good and it looks and it feels like a Chloe Zhao movie. But then like whenever this movie has to sort of bring in the, I can't even remember the deviants. Is that what the dog creatures are called? Yeah. And there's like the one that talks to, do you know what that was about? No, I was like, okay, so he's a human. What is he becoming? I think they reference that he's becoming one of the Eternals a little bit. So for me, I was like, oh, he's going to be a big issue down the line possibly. Yeah. That's another whole section of this movie that I was just like, what is happening? And this feels like, a leftover from like another draft of this script that's like not as important anymore but in anyway all the stuff when like whenever the deviants are introduced or whenever we kind of see a lot of the like eternals powers getting used i thought the movie just looked like really ugly and terrible and i like i said i don't want to necessarily just sort of like beat up on clearly like hard-working effects people but i i think it's an aspect of these marvel movies at this point are sort of like so much of the the set pieces kind of get done are conceived ahead of time and are sort of like conceived by these sort of teams of digital artists and like i said there is this this part of the the machinery that is like yeah we'll bring you on as a director but like you know we mainly kind of want you to work with the cast and don't worry we'll figure out everything else and so there is this like corporatized kind of almost half-ass feel to like a lot of the the action sequences in in marvel movies in the last like and in, in just the last few like marvel projects that i've seen that just i i wish that let someone kind of like take someone else and someone with kind of a vision take over these set pieces because 
you know, I haven't seen the new Matrix movie yet, but like, you know, the Lechow- the Wachowskis know how to do action or stuff like that, mm-hmm. or like Dune, which both which you and I saw, like mm-hmm. letting Denis Villeneuve construct these set pieces and like it, they feel like a cohesive style they have a cohesive style with the rest of the movie and are like breathtaking to watch um so i i don't know that's my little rant about the effects and the set pieces in this movie is like it's a big like 200 million dollar superhero movie like like why the the action set pieces should not look as sort of like cheap as they do i mean then we we have to think about the cast how much of that money went to that big cast yeah I, i don't know um yeah so i i don't know do you have have any kind of like last um eternal thoughts before we move on i guess i just saw the box office numbers it looks like the movie did pretty well um i know there was some concern considering like the whole we don't have time to unpack the rotten tomatoes absurdity of that like uh, you know, people putting too much emphasis, I think, on a on the Rotten Tomatoes score being an end all be all for a movie. Um, but it it seems like the movie, while one of the lower grossing Marvel properties, is you know still is one of the higher grossing movies of the year thus far. So I guess that's that's something. Um, I don't know. I guess it'll be we'll see whether or not the Eternals are characters that get brought back like like i said i'm fascinated to hear more about the behind the scenes of this because you know it just really feels like a marvel movie one moment with like these cgi dog monster fight scenes <laughs> and then like camille nanjani doing kind of like quippy one-liners and then like these sort of like poetic moments that almost feel like out of a, a terrence malick movie what in some of the like flashback sequences um so i i i don't know it just feels such a push and pull to to me of different sensibilities that um i don't know i'm i'm fascinated to hear what went on behind the scenes on this but um i can't i don't know any any kind of last thoughts i can't wait to hear about make it give it three or four years when we hear about the true be the truth rather behind them the making of this i can't wait to hear that um last thoughts i liked it go watch it um go in it's a long movie it drags it it does it this is a two and a half hour movie that felt like nine hours to me if i gotta be honest and and the pacing is really all over the place it like you know will be it will have this forward momentum and then there'll be like an extended flashback and um I, I don't know. I mean, Chloe Zhao's movies don't have this kind of driving pace to them. They're more a bit meandering. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if some of that is her sensibility, just like in pacing just doesn't work for a big blockbuster like this. But I, I fully agree with you. I, I hate to interrupt, but I had to like fully chime in to be like 1000% of like this. This is certainly not the... <laughs> the only like two and a half hour plus movie I've seen recently, but like this is one that like really dragged and really felt like there's a moment like right before they go to um, 
I like forgot Brian Tyree Henry was in this. And so I like thought the movie was kind of wrapping up and then they were like, wait, we got to get one more person. And I was like, wait, who's on? Damn it. And realizing like we were only just getting started and had like one more person to join the team. I was like, this movie's not over yet. Ugh. Like it's not. It exact Again, it, you're going to feel every minute of it without a doubt. Yeah. Well, Going from this kind of very star-studded ensemble movie, um, there's another one that came out this weekend, uh, The Harder They Fall, which is a Western on Netflix. Um, It stars um, Jonathan Majors, who listeners might recognize from uh, Lovecraft Country or Last Black Man in San Francisco. Which Um, is one of my favorite movies, and I keep telling people to go watch that movie. It's brilliant. It's good, like a pretty underrated movie from like yes. a couple of years ago. Um, and he's like, fan- I he was sort of the person that like after seeing that, I was like that that person's going places. I don't know yes. who that guy is, but he's great. Same. Um, so this movie has him. Uh, also has uh Zazie Beetz, um, Idris Elba, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindau, uh. Any, anyone else I'm forgetting? I'm trying. There are so many people in this there movie. I'm really, trying. <laughs> I think those are the names that people will immediately recognize. There are right. other people um, that once you see their face, you're like, oh, yes, definitely. Um, so ba- basically, it it is a kind of western revenge story of like Jonathan Majors, uh, essentially like a kind of outlaw gang leader who is g- trying to get revenge on the Idris Elba character and his gang for murdering Jonathan Major's parents when he was just a small child. Um, it's very stylish. It's it's quite fun. I, I It's maybe similar to Eternals. I think it bites, at least for me personally, I think it bites off a little bit more than it can chew, and there's almost like so many characters in the cast that it's yes. trying to kind of like... Um, you know, give time to and sort of give importance to that the movie feels a bit overstuffed at times, kind of like with the Eternals, there's just sort of like, you kind of get to the end, you're like, maybe we could have had like two less Eternals. Mm -hmm. And like, it feels Mm -hmm. like we're not, there's too many balls in the air. But I would say unlike Eternals, I think everyone in this cast like gels beautifully together and bounces off each other really well. And, and you know that makes sense as a cohesive ensemble unlike eternals um you like this i think a little bit more than i did so i i'm excited to like hear you talk more about it so for me it i enjoyed it better the second watch the first okay. watch i felt similar i was like there's a lot going on here and i don't know if mm-hmm. it's because i'm i have my phone out and i'm looking down at my phone or there's just too much going on i think mm-hmm. it's both one, I think if you're watching this, don't watch it with your phone, um, as I say to most things. But And then this, like you referenced, it's there's a lot going on with the mm-hmm. different characters. But also, no, with the different characters, there's so many characters later on at the end that they're reve- making quote-unquote reveals about. That I was like, this right. was unnecessary. It's like, I know what you're doing here, but I don't need it. The second time after having all of that background, Coming into it the second time, I was able to have fun with it, and I had a lot more fun the second watch. I think it's very funny. Uh, mm-hmm. The action scenes are great. It's, they are great, yeah. They're very good. Um, 
What was I going to say? And it's like my first true Western. Oh, was, wow. Yeah, I've, I've, That's I've, exciting. The, the only other Western, and I think you'll laugh, that I quote, I don't even think it's a Western, would be Wild Wild West. And I don't think that's a, a Western. It's a, okay. just an all-around bad movie, but that's the only thing. It, that, that is a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's because of that that I never watched Westerns because I was like, if they're like that, I don't want to see it. Well, I think if you enjoy this, you'd probably definitely enjoy. I mean, this one's is it it feels very inspired. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of influences throughout. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm sure there's John Ford influences, but I, I mean, this, you know, at least aesthetically feels a lot like the kind of Sergio Leone spaghetti western movies that I I know are kind of like inspirations for some of the like Tarantino westerns and are are you know they're very stylish they're insanely violent but they have this kind of like propulsive energy and these kind of like great shootout um set pieces to them so um i don't know that's exciting if this this is a door opening to you to western (laughs) movies and you enjoyed the the kind of like kinetic action filmmaking of this i would definitely say um you know check out some of those but um did is was there like a a particular performance in the cast that that you know thought jumped out to you at all i think they're all good actors but the only one that once yeah. they came on screen i was like oh that grabbed my attention was regina king because i think throughout this movie i was like she's just cool she is very mm-hmm. very cool from the minute we see her throughout this whole thing she's the only one that was just very cool yeah what a run she's going on Oh, man, she's knocking it out left and right. Like, this is her moment right here, along with Jonathan Majors. I, the yeah. He's not been attached to anything that's been bad. But, yeah, uh, for me, the person who kind of, like, stands out, Lakeith Stanfield in this mm-hmm. movie, is just, like, so effortlessly cool like like the like quintessential like cool villain he's like him and regina king are both part of idris elba's gang and and i think like similar to what you said about regina king just like it oozes this this coolness about him and just like anytime he came up on screen i was like turning the volume up on my tv (laughs) just a little bit more of just to like luxuriate in in how he's able to just sort of like wield the camera towards his charisma that's true he he's good at that i think in most of the roles i'm thinking about um what's that movie the the ah shoots where he plays the salesman over the phone ah he's very i don't even know what this is what is is that it's like he's putting on a voice uh you know the movie i'll come back i'm gonna find it i'll come back to you i i don't know i'm i'm interested to hear now um sorry to bother you Oh, I forgot about yeah, he's great in that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. Did I I'm maybe like um, you know, I'm kind of in the the like mixed camp on this. Like I I I definitely maybe should see it a second time. And I can see this being because of the Netflix of it all. This has kind of the pieces and and what you mentioned about like enjoying it more a second time and just having fun with it. I can see this having the pieces to be a kind of like really rewatchable movie for people on netflix of of just being able to kind of like fire it up and i'm gonna put on this scene you know i'm gonna put on where idris elba breaks off the 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 train and which is probably like my favorite set piece in the Mm. movie and and just sort of like fire up these little moments between the the cast 
I think so. I think you should watch it again. Uh, for okay. me, that second rewatch, once you have all the backstory, it's just fun. You're not like, not saying I, I don't know how I'm trying to say, but you're not like focusing on it, trying to figure out what's happening. You already know all the set pieces. You're just there to enjoy it for what it is. And it's very funny. The music in this also fire. Amazing. I was like, yes, oh my great gosh, soundtrack. it's so good. Great, great soundtrack. Um, well, if you don't got any more thoughts on the harder they fall, um, I guess I'll I'll toss it to uh, for our Before listeners to we go. Sorry, there's one part. It's just no a, go go. It's a very <laughs> funny scene that I know. Yes. Uh, so pick it. Someone gets shot in the back. Another character uh-huh. says, "Pick it." And for me, I was like, "Is this like a callback to Boys in the Hood with Ricky?" I'm like, "I think it is. It has to be." It was very funny. I noted it. I took a note. I was like, is this Boys in the Hood? <laughs> Anyways, it was very funny. I I have been seeing a lot, like, on... Which now this is maybe, like, the convincing moment that I should rewatch it, because I've been seeing a lot of reactions on, like, Twitter and Instagram of people pointing out all these kind of, like, fun little Easter eggs and yeah. references within this movie. Like, I think there was one where um, Regina King said the the train that gets robbed in one point it like has like ch bozeman is like the name of the railroad company Mm -hmm. which is like their sort of tip of the hat to chadwick bozeman and all all kinds of like i'm sure there's so many fun little details and sort of tipping of the hat Mm -hmm. to other western movies to sort of larger western mythology i mean the i i think like the most interesting aspect of this is the way it opens where it says like these are real Mm. people and real individuals but we're sort of creating this fictional story around them which feels like this kind of fun revisionist kind of reclaiming of like yes there's all the you've heard of like billy the kid or um jesse james or something there's all these kind of like great kind of whispered through legends black characters from or you know uh, black people from the old west that um really lived and and sort of deserve their kind of chance to be memorialized on screen the way that like some of these other outlaws have and so i think that's kind of like a fun declaration of being like yeah these are these are real people and sort of we are doing our own kind of reclaiming of of the western mythology and like what it means to be a western Absolutely. And I think, again, telling you to rewatch it, I read a piece after I watched it from the writer who said he's been influenced for all the Westerns he watched growing up. And he was like, well, I there were Black people in, during this time, mm-hmm. so I'm putting them in it. So I'm sure there are little stuff uh, noting back or calling back, rather, to other Westerns that you've seen that I think you'll pick up on. Great. Well, uh, Rowan, thank you for, for stopping by. Thank week. you. It was fun. I can't wait to, to hear your interview coming up next. Yes, uh, definitely stick around for that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, check out the beta test too, because it's it's it is certainly interesting and is um, I think Jim Cummings has like a really uh, one of a kind kind of sensibility that I'm sure you'll see in that movie. great uh so thanks so much uh pj and jim for taking the time to do this um i really enjoyed the movie and i guess i first wanted to ask kind of where the idea kind of percolated for this because it's a movie that's 
filled with so many different ideas about like the internet and about Hollywood and about I would say toxic masculinity to a certain extent, but it's also this fun mix between like a Hollywood satire and an erotic thriller. So just take me through how you get this like really unique script that you got. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you liked the film. Um, yeah, thanks. So uh, PJ and I had the idea for the letter service first as this kind of extension of spam mail. Uh, and like creepy DMs on Instagram. And we thought it'd be funny to have it be this analog envelope that comes in the mail and how that would be more curious and enticing to someone than spam mail. And we thought it would just be this kind of like funny, weird, eyes wide shut thing of like this guy getting this thing that might derail his life. And then we realized that the film was about lying and cheating and the fight between the agencies and the WGA was happening and you know we're big fans of doubt the play um and that film and that play is about believing in stuff without evidence so you have to set it in a church and then with this it was like because it's about lying and cheating you have to set it in a talent agency and so we did all this research and had a bunch of assistants uh break their ndas to tell us what it was like to be in the talent world at that time during the fight and all the stress that was coming through that experience of not never knowing if the ground that you were on was stable uh, which is why we have all the earthquakes happening throughout the film and buildings collapsing and stuff. That's kind of how it felt at that time. Still does. And then we did all this research, PJ did all this research um, about how you would actually do it, how you would actually connect people through big data and your public social media profiles and um, trying to pair people who are search engine, like history soulmates, basically. Um, and then all of it kind of came together in this big ball of stress of this guy who is feeling much less useful being an agent, whose job it is to connect people um, and package them when the internet can do that now. And we have real social networks and all of those things came together to make this guy just have an awful time on screen and humiliate him and talk about power dynamics. And um, all of that came together to be the beta test. Yeah, basically building very high stakes in this scary world of Hollywood and big digital data and then dropping us goofy idiots in there to go down the rabbit hole, which was a lot of fun to write. So, Jim, I, I read somewhere the other day that on some of the shorts and other features that you've worked on, um, when you're co-writing it with someone, you're actually like acting the movie out and kind of improvising as that happened. Is that something you guys did here? And how much improvisation are you bringing in with the rest of the cast? And kind of like how much is the story sort of like ever evolving with each and every day and different people bringing different stuff to the table? Almost never. So we, we have no improv in the film. Uh, we can't afford it. We don't have the time to ensure that the film is going to be good otherwise. Like... PJ and I will do a lot of improv when we're acting out all the scenes. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for all of our scripts, we'll have a full outline that we've worked on for a year, sometimes two for this new one, um, doing all this research and kind of laying out what the script should be in a Google doc. And then we sit down with two laptops and the software called Writer Duet, where you can see in real time stuff that another writer is changing. And uh, for each scene, we go through the Google Doc and act out all the scenes a hundred times before it's any wow. good. And then we get to find where it works and how to pivot and how you do the dialogue and 
infusing the cinema, the camera to help tell the story, that kind of stuff to make the movie. But so much of the writing is done out loud. And then we record it as a podcast on the same microphone I'm talking to you through right now. And um, we put in music and sound design so that you can hear the movie as many times as you want before you show up on set. And then we send that to the producers and they send it to the cast and crew. So everybody has a base layer idea of what the tone and the cadence and the comedy um, and the punchlines should be. Um, and then they elevate it from there. But to answer your question, there's almost no improv because we have to shoot the movie in 17 days. Like we're, mm -hmm. we're literally sprinting through each scene to get what we need. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's certainly a level of improv in the writing process. I mean, we, we kind of have a good idea structurally. I mean, that's very meticulous ahead of time of kind of getting down the, the A to B of the plot and everything. But then in each scene, that's when, yeah, you find a lot of the improv and doing it a thousand times out loud with Jim, uh, finding the things that make us laugh the most and uh, finding the comedy when we're just like taking a walk. And I guess that's where you kind of go beat by beat and find the best ways to, to make a joke or get through the scene with dialogue. Yeah, I like how you you brought the the comedy of it all. And I think one thing that I've noticed through so many of you guys' projects is not not just that they're funny, but there's a very specific sense of humor that seems to be like very specific to you guys. And huh. I'm I'm fascinated how That's cool. like what what either previous movies or entertainment or what experiences out of your own life do you think have kind of like informed your sense of humor because you know i would definitely say with like the lead character in this movie it's this fine line between like this kind of cartoonish buffoon but there's also something kind of tragic and sympathetic about him at the same time so i'm i'm just fascinated to hear like how you guys think your sense of humors have sort of formed over the years so you've just described alan partridge who is yeah. one of our favorite <laughs> characters of all sure. time armando Iannucci and steve coogan and the gibbons brothers i think are probably the best comedy writers in the english language right now um i'm almost certain of it and i think really their ability to focus and hone in on this one pathetic guy scrabbling for relevance and trying not to humiliate himself on live television or radio is one of the most fulfilling, hilarious uh, things you can ever see, I think. Um, and so we idolize Steve Coogan and that whole team. Um, and then really so much other British comedy too, like- Yeah, um, Eves and Worcester. Eves and Worcester, uh, yeah, P.G. Woodhouse yeah. is one of our favorites, yeah. just the schemes and like the setup and payoff and um, reveals. And then like Seven, the David Fincher movie is really funny. Like <laughs> Brad Pitt is such an idiot in that film. And, um, and it's so fulfilling to watch because it is this detective engine that also has uh, some comedy in it. And we love that, it's our favorite kind of filmmaking. We're also just very self-deprecating. <laughs> like, I think we really enjoy making fun of ourselves and each other. And the movie. Like, while you're making the movie, <laughs> it's important that to... we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that bleeds into a lot of our script writing and comes out in the movies we make. Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of getting back to, to this movie, which, like I said, is like a bit Hollywood satire, a bit erotic thriller. There's also, in kind of looking at the other projects you guys have done, there's kind of this this fun smorgasbord of different genres and different um, kind of issues and ideas you guys are trying to tackle with each project. Do you have like a Word document or somewhere that you're just sort of like ticking things off a box of, you know, like, eventually I want to do like a period piece or like we'll do a science fiction movie at one point? Because each movie has kind of felt like very unique to you guys, but almost like you're hopping to different genres along huh. the way. 
That's cool. Um, we don't have that document. Maybe we should. I mean, we are we are doing different stuff now. So like, it really depends on what interests us when we wake up that morning. Like we have eight. Yeah, it's pretty diverse, but not on purpose. I mean, we're not, it is a lot of different kind of genres, I guess, but we didn't like say like, oh, this is going to be our sci-fi project. It mm -hmm. just kind yeah. of. But they're all funny. I mean, they're all, yeah. it's all comedy, I guess. Like the, that's the one through line is that like, even we're writing a Victorian horror right now. That's, you know, took years of research to find out what it was like in, you know, uh, Victorian era, Virginia. Um, and, uh, and so like, really it's, it's never us going out of our way to try and do something different or jump ship to something else between films. It's whatever's making us laugh or whatever is like, would be very cool and impressive to audiences. I think that's kind of the drive. Yeah. So in, even in the process of making this movie, um, I went back and watched, uh, Thunder Road the other day and yeah, it's brutal. It, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great movie, but it's, it's such an interesting kind of like it's it's so cool to me like see the evolution of your style sort of over time and trying to uh do more ambitious stuff with the camera how how do you think you have sort of like grown as a filmmaker over the years and the things you've tried to to sort of focus on and pgi i guess with you as a writer and as an actor too how do you see yourself kind of growing over the the last several years I feel like Thunder Road is its own language. It's like its own way of making a movie where it feel, I mean, the, that movie's like 50 shots or something like that. It's all long takes and told very classically and monologues and show, showcasing this guy in like the worst few days of his life. And then you have this final catharsis. It feels like a Springsteen song or something. Um, all told through cars and like, you know, they are constantly in cars and so it feels like Springsteen. Um, and then I think I could do that again. It's just that the stories call for other stuff. Like Wolf of Snow Hollow was supposed to be this kind of detective story. So we had to have it feel like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as a comedy. Um, and then with this one, we knew we wanted it to be sleek and crazy and Bong Joon-ho uh, and very meticulous with the way that the camera moves. And I feel like this movie is by far our most cinematic. Like there's just so much craft that went into this thing. So I feel like we learned a lot about visual language and how you keep something interesting at all times and how you wield the audience's attention. And I've just gotten better at that from doing it. Uh, for me, I mean, I don't think I've grown as an actor at all. I think I've always been amazing, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, like I, I think really it, for me, it was like being able, being brave enough to actually pursue writing. I'd always written, but I was too scared to ever actually, you know, pursue it uh, professionally. I was really just doing acting stuff. And so to do this movie and, and to see people responding the way they are, I, it just emboldens me that, you know, to push these weird, crazy writing projects we're doing, because I think people want to see these unique stories that we have to tell. And directing wise, I mean, I had never directed something of this magnitude before. So, I mean, to direct with Steven Soderbergh the way I did, <laughs> just with Jim Cummings, who knows how to do everything. It was such an incredible crash course in the technical aspects of, of the camera work and, and the different camera movements you can do to set up a scene and everything that goes into sound design. I mean, watching over Jim's shoulder for a year, over a year of, of meticulously putting this movie together was just an incredible process to watch. So just learned a tremendous amount about the filmmaking process. Awesome. So uh, a bit of a, a sort of outsized industry question, um, you know, we're in this kind of awkward time as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. 
And there, it seems like every day I'm seeing either online or in the trades, sort of these conversations about how do you release a world movie out into the world now? And what's the best way to release a movie? Is it day and date? What's the sort of accessibility? You guys are in this interesting kind of independent spot. That's like, a, it feels like a little bit outside the kind of the main studio system as, as kind of independent filmmakers releasing something at this time. What, what are kind of your thoughts on just sort of like, the accessibility of movies and and sort of whether it's it's more important to see it in a theater or like at home or whether that even really matters to some extent. Yeah, I mean, to me, I never really I have so much control over the movie in the sound design, in um, in the edit, in the writing, in everything. Um, I would never want to control how somebody watches the movie. Like I feel like that is a bit egotistical. So. I'm a bit agnostic to it. I understand that they are completely non-overlapping audiences, people that will go to a cinema to have that experience. And so like, however anybody wants to watch it, they should be able to watch it. I think day and date is a, is a simple way of, of doing that. Um, but no, I, I'm, I, you know, right now, all of the big movies are doing day and date or they're just coming out online. And like, that's a sign of the times. These people have much better data and analytics than we do. They know what audiences are looking for. and we should always be close to the audience and what they want and um, impersonating what the big studios are doing is working out for us. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, agnostic is the perfect word. I'm kind of whatever, whatever people want to do. I don't know. I, whatever people are, are looking to, I like, I love, I, I'm into, yeah. I mean, other than seeing our movie in theaters in a while, but just with the yeah. pandemic and everything, but like, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of go either way to be totally honest. So want to talk a little bit about kind of like influences and and maybe to tie this into kind of like a, a fun final question if there's time of like what to you guys were sort of the biggest influences either in the writing process or stylistically on this movie and if you had to pick something for let's say a double feature to go with the beta test what what would be your your programming uh, film that you would put in there? EJ would probably say Chinatown. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think, I mean, Parasite narratively and like comedically to me is like, it's so much packed into one movie. It's about wealth inequality, but then it's about so much other stuff too, about, um, romance and horror and drama and kidnapping and all kinds of crazy shit. Um, I, I think that movie is so everything. It's like, it's a, every possible lobe of the brain gets exercised when you watch a film like that. Um, yeah, I'd say Parasite. Yeah, Chinatown would is a, I always I always say like writing the detective engine of this was always goofy Chinatown <laughs> for this for this like just a sad LA noir like a way uncooler version of the sleek Chinatown version. Uh, so I would say that or or watch it with La La Land because this movie is like the anti La La Land <laughs> where it's just like oh La La Land is like oh lovely LA Hollywood romantic and then this just makes it look so ugly and lame. <laughs> So it's just a funny juxtaposition to watch as a double feature. Are there any like weird like Hollywood stories that kind of informed? I mean, you mentioned you talking to people who worked with agents and stuff, and yeah. um, you know, how much of like your own experience working in the business are you sort of bringing into the movie of like, man, this one guy I met once, like we're we're definitely like I'm never gonna forget that person. We're gonna put 
fold that into this character. Everybody has that. I mean, everybody who has met a cheese dick in Hollywood um, knows that he's like Jordan or they are like Jordan. It's always, always men um, that you hate uh, in the industry. But no, there's nobody particularly, it's about, I mean, it's all of these different people that we've heard stories from um, and their horror stories about the industry and these agents that, that they had fights with or tried to screw them over or whatever the circumstance was. We heard about one last night. We screened the movie at USC and this woman was like, oh, I was an assistant at this place. This guy was a monster. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like an amalgamation of a bunch of people, but um, it was it was working for us. Of like, There was nobody in particular that I've met that I wanted to mock or ridicule i wanted to do everybody perfect well uh thank thank you so much guys for you know like i said i, I really like the movie and thanks <laughs> so much for taking time out of your clearly busy day no thank you for talking oh, to us you. man thank I'm you for enjoying the film i'm glad you watched yeah. it